The following sermon is from Dr. Dan Kitanoia, pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Tilton, Illinois. If you've never reached out to Calvary before, we'd like to hear from you. Visit our website at myhomecalvary.org. That's myhomecalvary.org. And now, here's Dr. Dan. A story is told about a man who grew up in a different country and he immigrated to the United States. And in the country where he was born and raised, there was a curfew in place and it was enforced by the military. After a certain time every night, those uh, who were out in the streets had to return to their home or they would be returned to their home. And so when he emigrated to the United States, he began to uh, visit his homeland, and he hadn't found a place to live yet, but he's checking out all the sites and, and visiting everything, and he realizes it's starting to get dark, and he looks at his watch and realizes curfew is about to come. And he realizes he's got a bit of time before he could actually get back to his hotel, so he sees a man getting into his car, and he says, Sir, could you give me a ride to my hotel? I know the curfew is coming, and I would like to get back to the hotel so I don't get into trouble. Now, the man in the car was rather confused and perplexed. What is he talking about? And after he looked at him and thought about it, he realized this man is not a natural-born U.S. citizen. He probably uh, just moved here and doesn't understand what's going on in the United States. So he went on to explain, you no longer live in that country, and therefore you don't have to live under the bondage of the curfew. You can go out, you can stay out, and stay up as late as you want. You're in America now. And as he explained to him and encouraged him, he began to realize that he was no longer in his childhood home, and he had a new set of freedom. As Christians... We have new freedom, but sometimes we are confused and think we should live under the old law. In Christ, we have, we've transferred the Bible. When you look at it, it says before we come to faith in Christ, we are in Adam. We inherit something of a curse because of Adam's sin. And with those who are under the curse, there was then a law given to help guide people to live better. But the law simply brought more of a curse. But now in Christ, we have freedom in Christ. And we then, as Christians, one of the things that we do, a journey of our life, is trying to learn how to then walk in the freedom that we have in Christ. As we look at our letter to the Romans, the Apostle Paul has begun to explain to us the freedom we have in Christ, the freedom we have to live under the new law of the Spirit rather than the law of the Old Testament. And for us as Christians, one of the things I've sort of noticed, and I do it too, when it comes to rules, when we don't see rules, we tend to want to create new ones. Now, as the Apostle Paul goes through the letter, he is essentially telling these Christians, hey, look, you were under this old law, but now you're under this new law, a law of freedom in the Spirit, not laws written down on tablets of stone. And then the question then becomes, how then shall we live over the last few weeks we began to, we worked through a series on how life change happens how we experience this transformation that god wants to work theologically we call it sanctification and we looked at what were the things that we could do how do we position ourselves to receive this work of the spirit to transform us well this morning we're looking at the foundation of this new work of transformation. Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross is the foundation for our transformation by the Spirit. 
As Christians, after we come to faith in Christ, we spend the rest of our life trying to learn how to walk in the Spirit. Romans chapter 8 is a beautiful, beautiful passage. And, and when we think about it, when you look at it, the basic point is relatively simple. It says we have new life in the Spirit, and with that is freedom. But I also recognize that in some places when you talk about freedom in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, living in the Spirit, and all those things, for some, there becomes this fear that we're talking about the twilight zone. Because you've heard and seen some things that are, well, strange. Can I tell you something? I almost didn't say this, but I said this on a Sunday night a few months back. I said, now that I'm a Baptist... Growing up Pentecostal, in the early days of my ministry amongst Baptists, I was always afraid that as I was serving there, somebody would stand up and speak in tongues or something like that. And because I grew up Pentecostal, somehow I would get blamed for this. But after 10 years in ministry, I will tell you this. I am far more concerned about churches not being filled with the Spirit than I am about somebody standing up and speaking in tongues. Can I tell you why? When a car is going off course, I can adjust the steering wheel. But what do you do when the car has no gas? This morning, we're beginning to look at life in the Spirit. And life in the Spirit is a part of, rather, it's the driving force, the fuel of transformation for us as we learn to live in the freedom we have in Christ. For us, we begin to understand that in verses Chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. Please stand if you're able to in honor of the reading of God's Word. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, He condemns sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I do thank you and praise you for today and the opportunity to gather together with my brothers and sisters in Christ I do pray that the Holy Spirit would uh, move and minister in our hearts, that we would increasingly glorify you by the way we live. We pray for the empowerment of the Spirit, the leading of the Spirit, that we become increasingly viewed and recognized as the children of God. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, this week I was resuming, uh, we've resuming our time in the book of Romans after I think it was seven weeks of, we took a break, we did some time in the book of Luke, and then we did uh, our series on transformation, which was four, I think, weeks, maybe five. And I realized as I picked up the book of Romans once again to resume our journey, that all of my hard work, I'd sort of, had, I'd forgotten some of it. And the thing about the book of Romans is this. The Apostle Paul, from chapter 1 all the way through chapter 8, the end of chapter 8, he is weaving one long argument. I don't mean argument in the sense of people bickering. I mean, he's making an assertion. And his assertion essentially is this. We're no longer trying to relate to God through a system of laws like we were in the Old Testament days. We are relating to Him through the law of the Spirit. 
But to get to this point, he has this one long argument. And along the journey, he, makes, he deal, deals with several different sidebars, if you were, in legal term. Sidebars, different tributaries of thought. And, is, and this makes the letter somewhat complex, well, very complex, and difficult to understand. And so I had quite a struggle trying to pick up the threads of the argument in the matter of a week. It took me months to really dig through the book of Romans, and so I had to recapture what I was seeing this week. It was quite a journey. And so I thought, well, if I'm struggling to get it all in my head, I probably need to remind you guys as well. So a couple things. Number one, let's talk about the letter and what we've seen. I'm not going to spend tons of time, maybe five minutes, but I want to recap the book of Romans up to this point. We saw that the Apostle Paul, he begins this letter, or very early in the beginning, he says, I am unashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile or the non-Jew. And as he's writing this letter, he's led, inspired, and guided by the Holy Spirit to write this letter to the Romans. He's introducing himself to a church he's never met before. And it is a church that's made up of Jewish Christians and non-Jewish Christians. And in the process of this, the reality, when you slow down, there's a there's hint everywhere that the Jewish Christians and non-Jewish Christians, it was kind of awkward for them. A little historical backdrop. At some point in time, the Jewish Christians had been bickering with the Jewish people who did not believe in Jesus. And this bickering became so intense, it was pouring out into the streets, and the Roman rulers had enough of it, so they kicked all, all Jews out of Rome. Well, after the Caesar died, the edict was lifted and the, the Jews were allowed to return to Rome. And what the Jewish Christians found when they came back to Rome was a church that used to be very Jewish culturally is now not so Jewish culturally. It's quite Gentile. What does that mean? Well, there's a lot of things, but I'm going to give you some of the high points. Number one, uh, the Jews still, even though they had faith in Christ, they still followed the Old Testament laws. Not that there was something wrong with those things, but Paul said those things don't save you. Those are not the things that put us together with each other and with God. So they'd come to church and they'd be like, these guys were eating eggs and bacon for breakfast, pork's off the menu. We're, not, we're kosher and they're not. How can we have fellowship with these guys? They celebrate certain festivals that we don't, and likewise, there are certain festivals that we Jews celebrate that the Gentiles have no part of. So there were some cultural differences, and it was rather stark. How are we to get along with them. And so the Apostle Paul then, he's weaving this letter, and he's saying, look, Paul is in a unique position. He is as Jewish as the day is long. In Philippians 3, he describes himself essentially as the super Jew. That's my summary of how he describes himself. Jew, Pharisee of the Pharisees, of the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised, on the, and he just goes on and on about how Jewish he was. He says, I consider that all rubbish now compared to knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord and Savior. So he is uniquely positioned to minister to this church. And he says, hey, look, I want to come to you guys in Rome. I want to minister to you. My hope is to serve you, be ministered to by you, and then with your help, be sent off to Spain to continue advancing the kingdom of God. And while he's writing this letter, he's explaining the gospel. He's doing two things. Number one, he's introducing himself. And two, he's probably addressing some of the bickering that was going on between the Jewish people who were Christians and the non-Jewish people. Because their culture was, was different. Do we have any cultural issues that, we, that sometimes divide Christians unnecessarily? Well, I'm going to give you one because it's no longer a live issue. And somebody shared it with me, so I'm just going to repeat it. 
Apparently, wire-rimmed glasses was considered a no-no amongst Christians at some point in time. I didn't know that. Because me, glasses are just glasses. We shouldn't have to wear them, but I don't look at someone's glasses and think they're you know, morally repugnant in some way. I can have table fellowship with a guy with wire-rimmed glasses. All right, so those are just some things, cultural things, that we thought were really important, but now that you look back, you realize those things didn't really have anything to do with our relation with Christ or with each other. We made mountains out of molehills unnecessarily. And that's essentially what Paul is doing here in his letter to the Romans. Here's what he says. Jews, you guys had the Old Testament law, and you couldn't obey it. The Gentiles didn't have the Old Testament law, but God revealed enough about righteousness to them that even what they knew was right and wrong, they didn't follow. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And as he goes on, he says, you've been set free from the law of sin and death. You are set free from the Old Testament law. And you're now free to walk in the Spirit. Now here's the thing. As a Jew hears this, that we're, we're dead to the law, they start. he's assuming the questions that a Jew would have asked because... He was Jewish, and he probably heard Jewish people ask the question. Well, if we're saved by grace and not works of the law, uh, should we then just go on sinning so that grace may abound? I mean, grace is a good thing, right? And so if sinning causes God to have to give grace, well, we should sin more so there's more grace. And Paul's like, that's a dumb argument. He says, you're dead to sin. We don't live in that way. Uh, you, here's the thing. New Testament scholar Gordon Fee said this thing best. I want, to, I want you to get this. If you tune me out the rest of the sermon, catch this. While we as Christians are no longer under this moral law of the Old Testament, this law of the, of the Old Testament, the Torah, some call it the Mosaic Law, some call it the Torah, or the law given on Mount Sinai, whatever you want to call it, we are free from Torah, but we are not free of the demands to be righteous. The law of the Spirit is love, grace, truth, righteousness. In Galatians, it says, the, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So when we talk about the law of the Spirit, what he's saying is we're setting aside codes. We want to create new ones. You can't wear wire rim glasses and, and on and on. We could create all kinds of things. There are certain things that the Bible clearly says are wrong. We do well not to add to those things. Life in the Spirit has to do more with loving one another in Christ. But listen, we've been set free in Christ to live in the empowering empowerment and the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And we'll see that as we dig deep into our passage Verse 1 shows us that in Christ you are set free from God's condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Those who are in Christ Jesus. First off, condemnation. When we study this out, you might think it's, he's saying they're not going to receive a guilty verdict. And that's true, but that was already addressed previously. Most likely when he's talking about condemnation here, he's saying essentially there's no punishment to come either. As Christians, there's great freedom in Christ because we are not walking around on eggshells. You ever been around somebody that you can't, you're afraid to say anything because you never know what's going to set them off? And today, what sets them off might be different than what set them off yesterday. I have known people like this, a face is coming to my mind right now. 
And I'm not going to mention them with the off chance that they're listening online. I would be afraid to say anything, and I wasn't alone. People would come out of meetings and, and be like, what is the deal? We're all walking on eggshells. Always afraid there's going to be some wrath from the mouth of this person. With the child of God, we don't walk on eggshells because there is no condemnation. Christ has received the condemnation, and there's no guilty verdict. There is no punishment to come. But then the question becomes, if we're, not, if we're in Christ and there's no condemnation, how then are we in Christ? We are in Christ through repentance, faith in God, baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'll talk about that in a moment. Water baptism. All of this is a work of the Holy Spirit. Let's talk about this. I actually had, some of you guys don't know this, you probably forgot this, but on Saturday nights I sent out a, a PDF form of our, of our PowerPoint. And somebody got it and they sent me a question this morning. I'm so glad that they sent me the question because it made me realize if they're asking the question, somebody else is going to ask the question. So let's talk about this. First off, the work of the Spirit is what leads us to repentance. The work of the Spirit is what leads us to faith in Christ. The work of the Spirit... Is what lead, the work of the Spirit, let's talk about that. In some places, it's referred to as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In some places, it's referred to as the Holy Spirit indwelling our hearts. In, in Ezekiel 36, God says the Holy Spirit's going to write His law on our hearts rather than tablets of stone. The Bible uses all kinds of terminology to explain that God does this amazing work in and through us through the Holy Spirit. When we talk about the Holy Spirit... It, it's like a diamond, and you start turning this doctrine, and you see all the facets and the beauty of what God's doing. The same is true of our salvation. Now, a lot of times when you talk about doctrine, uh, sometimes we separate things out that really the Bible doesn't separate out. It's helpful to categorize things, but faith, repentance of sins, belief in Christ, this is all a work of the Spirit at salvation. And then the logical thing that the New Testament, you read through the New Testament, always... Faith in Christ is followed by water baptism, usually on the same day. Am I saying that baptism saves you or that we're regenerated by baptism? No. What I'm saying is when somebody has been born again by the Spirit, the logical response is to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. Follow? All of this is a work of the Spirit. When you're baptized, it's a statement to yourself, the world, to God, everyone who's watching, listening, that you are dead to sin and in Christ. This is a work of the Spirit. And for those who are in Christ, there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. Listen, when we, are, we have come to faith, when we believe in Him, baptize all of those things, we call this conversion. When we, we talk about salvation, and it's a, it's a short word, and it's it's kind of like a coverall. It covers all of these things. It's like saying there's a diamond, but then when you look at the diamond, you realize there's all these facets. Salvation is a mo it's lots of stuff going on, but it ultimately is a work of the Spirit when we repent of sins and believe in Christ and are born again. And then as Christians, we continually learn to live the life of the born again. New life. But there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What does this mean? Well, if we possibly could face condemnation, as in we could lose our salvation and still be judged by God and go to hell. We're like fugitives just waiting to get caught. Because I don't know about you, since I've believed in Christ, I, I have sinned. I'm probably the only, I'm, I'm sure I'm the only one in the room. Fired, yeah, sinner, yeah. We got a sinner for a preacher, who knew? 
if, if, if you could lose your salvation, you would. There's no condemnation. You don't walk on eggshells with God. Does that mean you live w without any concern of righteousness? No, as I've already established, that's not the case. But the Jews want to know what, where the laws are. Give us the legal code, the, the, the bylaws. What, what's the small print? You, love is the small print. Grace, truth. Now, here's the deal. If we are possibly could be facing condemnation, we're like fugitives waiting to get caught. As I wrote that down in my notes, I imagine one of those TV shows or movies where a couple guys that work out a plan to rob a bank. I think Ocean's Eleven. I better not say that. I don't know. There may be something bad in Ocean's Eleven. Just a show where you've seen the highwaymen or something. I don't know. Where they, they stole, stole out from, robbed from a bank. And then they're running from the law. They got a stack of cash. But they go to a hotel. They pay cash because they don't want them to trace their credit cards. And then they turn on the TV and there's their pictures. Wanted. Fugitives. Statewide manhunts. Anybody who has a tip about where you can find these guys, we will reward you with cash. If you and I could face condemnation, we're the guys in the hotel room who just turned on the TV set after they broke the law and realized, oh my goodness, we're facing condemnation. We're toast. You might escape the long arm of the law. You might get past Clint Eastwood or John Wayne. But you're not getting past the God of the universe. We're all going to stand before Him. But in Christ, you and I, who once were facing God's wrath, are free from this. This is a beautiful thing. It casts out fear. You know, we think about it, the Bible says we should fear God. It does say that. But there is a difference. You know, as, as a dad, I thought this out. You know, I have kids. I don't want them to be terrified around me. I do, however, want them to realize when dad says something, we've got to listen to it. I actually realized the other day that, that well, they ask me stuff because they, they're pretty sure, and they'll keep asking me because they're pretty sure dad doesn't always mean it when he says no. Mom, they know, means no. They occasionally try her a couple times. But see, I want my kids to say, Dad means business. We love Dad. We respect Dad. He's a good guy. we got to do what he says. But I don't want them to be terrified around me. As children of God, we love, honor, respect, revere God, but we don't live in terror of Him. That's freeing. Can I tell you something? I, I, I realize that my kids are in this young age, and they get older, and they're teenagers. The temptations and the opportunities to sin will be vastly different at 18 than it is for Kenny at 9. I recognize that. My hope is that if they learn to trust, love, respect Dad, when the time comes when they messed up, and they have, they will not walk around in eggshells, but will say, you know, Dad, I messed up. You know, Chrissy, I'll share with you this. She had a really, has a really great relationship with her parents. Well, her dad's in heaven. I'm told her dad was a very intimidating man. Never met him. His name was Kenny. But they had this kind of like code, like if Chrissy finds that she's gone somewhere and there's things going on that she doesn't want to be a part of, she calls home and says, Mom, just come and get me. They didn't ask any questions. They knew Chrissy was doing the right thing. I want that kind of, that's kind of how it is with us and God. When we get to a place where we know we've messed up, we don't have to fear condemnation. We don't walk on eggshells. See, perfect love 1 John 4.18 says, perfect love casts out fear. And it goes on to say, because fear has to do with punishment. And those who are terrified of God, 
is because they've not been perfected in love, is what it says. But let's just simplify it. Perfect love casts out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. You are free in Christ. God's perfect love has been expressed to you, to me, to us, in His Son, Jesus Christ, and that casts out fear. We have freedom in Christ because there's no condemnation. We also have freedom in Christ, according to verse 2, to live in the Spirit. Here's where we get into the deep waters. Some of y'all saw my Facebook post. Here's where it gets a little bit more tricky. Y'all pretty much had 8, eight verse 1 figured out. Verse 2. For the law of the Spirit, that's one of the laws, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. That's the second law. There's a third one that we'll see. But the law of the Spirit of life has been set you free. Now, when we are not in Christ, we are ruled by sin. And the wages of sin is judgment, condemnation, death, and a death sentence from God. People don't like to talk about that. There's an accusation that preachers won't talk about hell. Well, I do. It's not my favorite topic. But you should know that the wages of sin is death. And that's not just being buried. That's also eternal eternity in a place called hell. But he says there's a, a law called sin. Now, it's, we think of sin, we commonly think of sin as a verb, a, a thing that we do, and it is that. But the way the Apostle Paul has been describing sin throughout the book of Romans is as a noun, a thing, a governing principle or a law. And we'll talk more about what that means. But he says, look, when you are in Christ, you are ruled by sin. Slaves of sin is what it says in a previous chapter. And, and this brings death and judgment. But in Christ, you are set free to live under the law of the life-giving Spirit, which is marked by grace, love, and righteousness. You and I are set free in Christ from sin and death to enjoy the liberty that comes from God's love, grace, and righteousness. We're like immigrants from a country that had a military-imposed curfew to one that says you can walk freely as long as you're not breaking any of these other laws and doing harm to people. We have freedom in Christ. Freedom in the Spirit. The Spirit is the governing principle. You and I are free in Christ from sin, death, to enjoy the liberty that comes from love, knowing a God that loves us perfectly. Now, the law of the Spirit is not a law of rules, but a relationship. See, this is the crux of the matter. We have freedom in Christ. The reason why transformation is possible is because we have been set free in Christ to walk in the power and leading of the Holy Spirit. This brings us on a journey of transformation. Transformation is a journey of learning to walk in the Spirit. It begins when we believe in Christ and ends when we meet Him face to face. Now, I've got four kids, and so I've learned, watched them learn to walk, and I still, when I see Trinity bound down the stairs, I'm always filled with a certain amount of terror that she's, especially when she's looking at me like, hey, Daddy, watch what I'm doing. And I'm like, just watch what you're doing, kid. But I watch them learn to walk, and it starts with holding a coffee table. And they let go, they get a little bold, and they fall down. Or, and her uncle will hold their hands. Oh, come on, Grandma, Grandpa, holding the hands. And they learn to walk. And eventually there's this moment where they finally take their first step. And they usually fall in their derriere. Or if you're right there, if you're a helicopter parent, you, you grab them before they hit the ground and make them weak. No, I'm just kidding. As Christians, we are born again. Learning to walk in the Spirit is oftentimes like a baby learning to take steps. We stumble and fall. We hold on to the table. 
The Jews wanted to hold on to the table that is called the Old Testament law. When we can't see the Old Testament law, we create new ones, the wire rim glasses. You follow? We as Christians are learning to walk in the Spirit. And we must learn to rely on Christ more and more and follow Christ more and more. One of the things that I've sort of come to realize in my own life and as I watch others grow in in maturity in Christ who are beyond me, one of the things that happens over time is it seems like, well, I'll just use my own, own story. In the past, hard to believe, but I was actually a really stout man, strong as an ox. One of the things that's gone, I've lost, I'm not as strong as I used to be, and I used to be really strong. And while my arms are strong, my back's as weak as a kitten. Strong like bull, but back like kitten, okay? I used to rely on those strengths to get me by. To serve, and they helped. Listen, if you wanted somebody to move, I was your guy. I had a friend named Joel who was stunned. I helped him move. He looks in the moving truck, and there I am. I got one huge long cabinet in this arm and the other one. I'm just walking down the stairs, and he's just like. So he told every, and then he told everybody to get Dan to come help you move. It's like thanks a lot, Joel. But I can't rely on that anymore. I now I can't rely on my physical strength. So now I have to let go of the table and start following God where he's leading me. In life, one of the things that happens in seasons of life, you know, you young people, you're all very attractive. Got all your hair. It's beautiful. Enjoy it. Right, Rob? Pastor Rob? Yeah, enjoy it. Beauty's fading. I used to be somewhat attractive, somewhat handsome guy. Christy still thinks I'm. She's got a crush on me. But the things that we use to rely on, it seems like God slowly takes them off of our hands. It's like he's saying, let go of the coffee table and follow me. You know, I'm going to cut to the chase on that. One of the things that when we as children of God, you know, there's a song that says, from life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. Death is this ultimate moment where you follow the Spirit. For the Christian, no one wants to face that moment, but man, the hope of knowing that on the other side, you're not just falling down, there's this Lord waiting to catch you. And it's like the last thing that you grab onto is taken away, and it's just you and the Lord. See, as Christians, we're learning to walk in the Spirit. Have I got it mastered? I'd love to tell you that I do. But in Christ, we're set free from condemnation to walk in the Spirit. We're learning to do that, and that's part of the transformation process. We're also, according to verse 3 and 4, we are set free in Christ to love God and others in the Spirit. Verse 3 and 4. Here's the third law. For what God has done, what the, for God has done what the law, talking about the Old Testament law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemns sin in the flesh. Pause for a second. I've got to make sure I say this so I don't forget it because it's not in my notes. Notice that for those who are children of God who are not condemned because we're in Christ, God condemned our sin in Christ, not us as sinners. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. There's some debate as whether we should understand that as for us or that we should actually do it. I think both are probably correct. 
that the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Some of you guys saw my Facebook post where I said that Romans 8 through 1 through 4 was giving me fits. And it was until I realized that the reason it was so difficult, here it is. In four verses, there are three different laws given. Paul is the consummate wordsmith. Three different laws given, one of which is given twice. Four verses. The first law is this law of sin and death. And this is why it's important to read it in context, because chapter 7, verse 21 to 25, he defines what that is. And then there's the law of the Spirit. And verse 2 has both of those. Verse 3 has the Old Testament law. So, by, so the, when I'm, I'm like, as I'm wrestling through this, it's, not, it's making sense, but not completely making sense, because I'm missing the fact that there's three laws here. As soon as you catch the fact that he's, in verse 3 he switched back to the Old Testament law, it all starts to unfold. Here's what's going on. This is the third law or governing principle that is listed in our passage. The law of the Spirit, the law of sin and death, and the Mosaic law appear in verse 3. The law of the Spirit returns in verse 4. So let's talk about this. Let's talk about the first two laws. The law of, the, of, of sin and death and the law of Moses. The law of God, or the law which was given through Moses, he says in chapter 7, verse 25, that the law was good. He says, I peer into it, I stare into it, and I see that it's good. I want to obey it, but I find this other law principle at work. Because as I'm desiring to obey God, I see that sin, the noun, is in me. And it's stirring up my flesh to wage war against the law of God. I want to rebel against God's law. While my mind wants to do what is right, my spirit wants to do what is right, my flesh says break the law. It's okay for you to lust. It's okay for you to be jealous of your neighbor's house, his wife, his stuff. It's okay for you to lie to get ahead. It's okay for you to do fill in the blank, even though God says otherwise. What is going on here? What Paul is describing is the law is, well, it's like a scalpel. You know, if you get, a, uh, you get a lady, she goes to Harvard, gets her med school, med school degree, she goes and does her residency at the Mayo Clinic, and she's an expert in brain surgery. I'm com as comfortable as you can get having brain surgery. That's as good as it gets as far as humans are concerned. I hand her the scalpel and let her do the work. A scalpel, as scary as it can be, is actually a tool that brings health, healing, and saves life. What Paul is saying is this. The sin in us takes the scalpel that is the law, which was supposed to give life, and what it does is it brings death. The life-giving scalpel that is the law in the hands of sinful flesh always brings death. Why? Because we break God's law and the wages of sin is death. Two laws converge to bring death and thus present our need for something more. Because of sin within us, the law given by God to Moses on Mount Sinai could not bring life. It only brought death. But Jesus satisfied the law's requirement for us by perfectly obeying it and then atoning for sin by offering himself up as the perfect sacrifice on the cross. And as you know, he rose again the third day. Jesus did this for you and me so that we could be free from sin and death to walk in the liberty of the Spirit. In Christ, we are free from sin's dominion and from the law of Moses. We are free from those laws which combine to bring us a death sentence. But as Dr. Fee says, we are not free 
to be unrighteous. We are set free to fill, in Christ to fulfill all righteousness. The Holy Spirit leads us and empowers us to be and do that which is righteous. Now, when you're trying to identify what exactly the law of the Spirit is, I'm going to give you the two best options, and I'm going to tell you which the one that I think is the best. Some say when he says to, to fulfill the law in us, he's really saying to fulfill the Old Testament law. There's some merit to that, but I think he's really talking about the law of the Spirit, which appears in Romans chapter 13, verse 8 through 10. And it's up on the screen. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. When we talk about walking in the Spirit, ultimately we're learning to love God, one another, and the world beyond us, the world beyond the church. Now, some of us, I immediately know that you're going to be Bible scholars. You're going to say, well, there's this verse that says, love not the world or the things of the world. Can I tell you, we make, we make a mistake when we do that. It is true to say we don't love the sinful things of the world or the system of world that is passing away, but that doesn't mean we don't love the people in the world. You see what I'm saying? Now that gets messy. And at times as we're trying to learn to love and relate to those who don't seem to love God or His Word, it's like learning to let go of the coffee table and stumble through this thing. But that's what I think we have to do we're going to walk in the spirit jesus was uh once asked well uh, who is my neighbor and he said well he tells the story of the good samaritan read it later i'll summarize he tells the story there's this this, this jewish guy gets beat up and left for dead by a bunch of robbers the religious guys keep walking by and don't help him because they didn't want to get blood on their new nikes they just keep walking by him. but then a samaritan comes along the samaritans avoid each other they don't like you sorry samaritans avoid the jews and the Samaritan picks him up, puts him on his donkey, takes him into town, puts him up, pays his bill at the hotel, and then he pays for his medical bills. And he says, now which one was more neighborly, the guy who took him in or the guys who kept walking by him even though they were of the same country? And he says, well, obviously the Samaritan. He said, go and do likewise. The point of that passage is love everyone you come in contact with in the way that seems right at the moment. Yeah, you need wisdom. And then another time, Jesus was asked a question, and we're going to move to close. What is the most important law in the Old Testament? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the rest of the laws hang from these two things. I think Paul, led by the Spirit, picks that up in chapter 13. Love is the new law. See, when you love your neighbor as yourself, you're not going to rob them. You're not going to sit around thinking about how much their spouse should be your spouse. When someone gets a promotion, while it might sting at first, you can actually get to the point where you say, you know what, while I wish I got the promotion, I am happy for them. Not begrudging them for years, looking for flaws in their productivity all the time. 
See, love does not allow us to do wrong to other people. So when the Jews were saying, since you're telling us there's no Old Testament law anymore, does that mean we get to just treat other people however we want and do whatever we want because it doesn't matter? The answer is, of course not. You and I are free from a code of laws, but we're not free, to, free from the demand to be righteous. And we are righteous when we love others and God. Last story. What does this look like in daily practice? A few years ago, and my dad told me this story after I was an adult. He did not tell me this happened when he was a kid. This was a time when the, the preachers sometimes say do jerky things. Now, my dad worked for the thing called the C&P Ordock. And the C&P Ordock, they unloaded boats off, that came off of Lake Erie. Well, Lake Erie freezes over in the wintertime. So my dad got laid off every year. Well, to save money, because he's got three kids, a wife, and a mortgage, he didn't always get his hair cut perfectly timed. He got a little shaggy. And so the pastor comes up to him and says, the Bible says you shouldn't wear your hair long. Now, I could bicker with him and say, well, technically, he's probably mostly talking about you shouldn't look like a woman if you're a man. Nevertheless, we'll leave that aside. My dad's response was brilliant. And I'm guessing my dad, who would have normally respects pastors, probably was punching back. He said, the Bible also says something about when you see your brother in need, you should meet that need. Now, that pastor was missing something, was he not? My dad was shaggy. If you guys have met my dad, he's not, he's not feminine in any way, shape, or form. He runs heavy machinery, loves the Browns, hates the Steelers, loves the Indians, even though they break his heart for decades. He's a man's man on the short side. The pastor was just making something up. He didn't know he was. He was learning to walk in the Spirit, and he created new laws because we're trying to learn how to love well. Now, here's how we love this guy back. When I w he was probably younger than I am now when he said that. Can I tell you, when I'm 28, I say and do a lot of dumb things. I still do sometimes. I'd like to think that over time, just like you and I have learned, certain things are dumb to say, certain things aren't really all that important, like the wire rim glasses thing. Maybe he has grown in grace too. See, when I do dumb things, I hope that you guys love me enough to be gracious. And that pastor was young and dumb. I think he's wiser now. He's pastor in the same church for 30 years. See, that's how we love one another in the church. The list goes on and on. Ladies and gentlemen, Learning to walk in the Spirit is not the twilight zone. It's actually a beautiful country to live in because it's love, grace, righteousness, truth. Against these things, there is no law. That's the kind of place I want to live in. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. Glad to be a part of a church that is like that and growing to be more and more like that. See, as Christians, we're in a process of transformation I serve in a church that I thank God for frequently. I do feel the love of this church. I do sense the work of the Holy Spirit. But we ain't done yet. Transformation is completed when we meet the Lord. You can graduate from high school and you can retire, but you don't graduate from God and you don't retire from God. Can't always do the things that you used to do, but God might want you to do different things. And all of that is love.
Finally, as Chad comes to play our song of invitation, I want you to understand something. As I've described this life in the Spirit, that is the thing to which God transitions you to when you put your faith and trust in Christ. Before you come to Christ, you and I were like, well, we're, we're living in constant fear. And if you're not living, if you're a person who doesn't know Christ and you're not really afraid of him, you should be. But when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, God becomes this Father that does not condemn but loves. How do you come to that point? If you're at the plate where you know that just like everybody else in this room, you're a sinner, yourself, yours truly included. And you come to that place and you know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He died on the cross for your sins. And you're ready to repent and put your trust in Him. I invite you to make your way to the front and help you call on the Lord for salvation. He will hear you and you'll be saved. If you're understanding that and knowing that and believing that, can I tell you one last thing before we stand up to sing? That is the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Don't reject it. Respond to it. You've been listening to Dr. Dan Kitanoia, pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Tilton, Illinois. If you'd like to learn more, visit our website at myhomecalvary.org. That's myhomecalvary.org. Thank you for listening.